finishing up his undergrad and then moving into seminary, and he seeks to be a pastor. And one of the things that was important for me and I think is important for Trey is to get the opportunity to preach as often as you can because preaching is something that you only get better in the doing. Uh, I know when I even have, having opportunities to preach, when I started preaching here, I got really thrown in the deep end of having to all of a sudden preach every week, and it's a different kind of thing. Uh, so be encouraging uh, to him and, and be attentive as he comes and opens the word of God for us this morning. Good morning, everybody. So I know Pastor Daniel has been preaching through John. I'm going to kind of throw a monkey wrench in that one. I'm going to actually take us into the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 7 today. Give you all a second to turn that way. If y'all stand for the reading of the word, I'll be starting in chapter uh, verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the balls and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines had heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion and they were defeated before Israel and the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Beth Car then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer for he said till now the Lord has helped us the grass withers the flowers fade but the word of our Lord stands forever y'all may be seated Oftentimes, and this includes myself, I find that when we're reading through the Old Testament, especially when we're reading through the narrative parts of the Old Testament, we get caught up in the, we get caught up in the stories. We get caught up in reading about David and Goliath or the, or the miracles that Elijah performed. And we kind of get caught up in the stories and we, in some ways, we kind of forget what the Old Testament ultimately is pointing us toward. And actually, how I came across this verse is kind of in that way. When Daniel asked for me to preach this Sunday, I went home and the first thing I thought about was I'm going to pull a verse out of the New Testament because that's going to be easy. Talks about Jesus a lot in that one. And 
me and Deja, my wife, are we've been going through the Bible. We've been, we've been reading it together, and we've gone from Genesis, and now we're actually in Samuel. And I think it was like the day or so after we were reading through Samuel, and we came across this verse. And after coming across this verse, I went, you know, this is what I'm going to preach on. This is what God has put in my heart to preach on today. Because as I read through this verse, though it's in the Old Testament, and though it's through the narrative parts, you can clearly see Christ in this. You can clearly see Christ in what he does for us on the cross in these, in these verses that I read to you today. And so kind of for a background context of what, of how this situation comes about, where we are in the book of Samuel, because I know we are just in the middle of the book, and I'm kind of throwing y'all in there. The Israelite people had just gone through a period where they had lost the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. And the Philistines put the Ark up in their temple, and, the, and every day their idol was knocked down, and then eventually it was broken, and plagues came about on them, so they feared the ark, and they returned it back. They essentially gave it back to the, to the Israelites. And because of this, Samuel is now calling all of Israel to repentance. And so, if you're like my wife, and you're one of those people that like to take notes, this is going to be the first point. The first point is a repentant people. Samuel brings all of the Israelites to Mizpah and gathers them together here ultimately to bring them to repentance. But what does repentance mean? Repentance ultimately means to completely turn away. So when you hear preachers and you hear sermons and people are like, repent of your sins, that means to turn away and to have essentially no more with that sin that you're committing. And ultimately, as we see these, the Israelites repenting here, we can see three ways that they are carrying out their repentance. The first way here is that they put away their idols. We live, obviously, in a different context than the Israelites lived in. Their idols were actual little statues that they bowed down to and worshipped. And I'm assuming that no one here has statues in their home that they bow down and worship to. But in our modern context, we still have idols. And we still worship those idols constantly. In our modern context, an idol can essentially just be anything that you're putting more time and effort in and focusing on more and you focus on God. Um, in our modern context, an idol can be simple things like our cell phones or our jobs or hobbies or I could even say sometimes we can put relationships above our reliance for God. And what it, the crucial thing that we see here as they are going into repentance is they don't just leave those idols out. They don't leave the idols sitting there and then try to serve the Lord and try to worship God and repent to him. They take the idols and they put them away. 
They take them out of sight. And I think that something really powerful for us is that when we find these idols in our lives and we're trying to reach repentance with God is that we need to we need to try to remove these idols from our path because ultimately if those idols are left out there will be a distraction our hearts will constantly call for us to give more attention to them and not to God who we are trying to serve the second way here that they're showing repentance is that we see that the Israelites do what sounds kind of a weird act they pour water out to God. And what's kind of interesting about this is, is this act is only done twice in the Bible. And I think it's very important for us to see why that is. This act that they are doing of pouring water out symbolizes something. If I were to have a jar just full of water and I take it out to a dirt, dry area, and I take it out there, and I dunk that jar of water on that ground, right? How am I supposed to be able to put that water back in that jar? It'd be impossible. Ultimately, what the Israelites are doing here is by pouring out water on the ground, they're expressing their sin. They're pouring out their sin to the ground so that can never be collected back up again. Oh, that we today in repentance can pour out our hearts before God onto the ground so that the sins that we commit and that the things that we do wrong can never be collected back up again, that we will never repeat it and that we will fully repent of them. And the third thing we see from we see that they do is that they fast. Biblical fasting is different than our modern notion of fasting. If you were to go right now and try to Google fasting, you're going to get a lot of health fads and health diets and, and lose 20 pounds in a week by fasting kind of like remedies or what's the health benefits of fasting. But biblical fasting really has nothing to do with our personal health or whether we're losing weight or not. The, the biblical form of fasting is that we're ultimately putting off the things that we need, our necessities of life, because our basic needs in life are food and water. And by going to God, I'm going to put aside the basic things that I need to survive to serve you and to repent to you. That's how important this is to me right now. We're expressing to God that there's no need or desire or thing in this world that's going to take us away from that connection with him. And I think this can ultimately be seen in what their, what their ultimate statement is to God when they do these things, right? Their ultimate statement here is this. We have sinned against the Lord. They recognize that they have sinned against the Lord. And that's why they do these things. And they are fully repentant. 
And I think they're serving here as a great example of how we can have repentance today and how important repentance is before God. Is that we should take repentance seriously and that when we repent of a sin or we repent of wrongdoing, it shouldn't be ultimately in vain that we should repent so that as the water poured out onto the ground that we would never want to go back to it again. Repent and turn away, walk away, and get away from the sin. But there is an interesting thing here. As you see, the Israelites here gathered together, and they're gathered in repentance. They're fasting and weep. They're not gathered in armor with swords and shields ready for battle. But what's the response to this? The Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, and the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. They drove in to attack them. They took it as an opportunity. I think it's an important fact for us to face is that when God's people are gathered together for the Lord, the enemy gathers for war. When we are humbled in repentance, there are those out there that are striving for vengeance against us. And obviously, the Israelites here are afraid, and so they seek, they turn to Samuel in their fear. And this is where the second point is. The second point is the lamb. As typically as I'm going through my colleges and going through all these Bible classes and stuff, something that we talk about quite a bit, and it's mainly pointed towards the Old Testament, is we look at what's called types of Christ in the Old Testament. Because ultimately, the Old Testament, all the people, all the characters in the Old Testament, though they're not perfect like Jesus is, they do things that ultimately point to Christ and what he, he does for us and what he's going to do. And so ultimately, their purpose and what they do is they're pointing and showing us a little glimpse of our Savior though they are not that savior. And so, here we'll see three different types of Christ in these verses. The first two are done by Samuel. Because when the, when the Philistines are going against them, the Israelites fear and they call out to Samuel to, to cry out, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Ultimately, what we're seeing here is the type of Christ, both types of Christ that are kind of shown in Samuel here, is that Samuel is operating as intercessor, and he's operating as a priest. And that's what, how we see Christ operate in our modern day, as we, as we are believers in Christ. Christ is ultimately our intercessor to God, that no one goes to the Father but through 
Christ. And so that when we pray to God for help, Christ cries out with us to the Father. And we also see him as the priest, as Christ being the holy and high priest, the only one capable of making the ultimate sacrifice because he is perfect. And the third type of Christ we see is we see it in the lamb itself, the lamb that is offered. It's interesting, and if you've read through the Old Testament, you see portions where it talks a lot about different sacrifices. It talks about in this circumstance you sacrifice two turtle doves, or in this circumstance you sacrifice an ox, or you have to sacrifice so many of an animal for so many people or sins. But here you have the entirety of Israel gathered in one place. And Samuel is sacrificing a single lamb to save them. And I don't find that as a coincidence. I find that as this lamb is not just any lamb. This lamb is supposed to be representative of the lamb of God, that spotless lamb that was slain on the cross for our salvation. And we see that the response to this is that the Lord answered. The Lord answered to this lamb being sacrificed. In the same way that the that the Lord responds to responded to Christ's sacrifice in the forgiveness of sins. Because it goes on and says that the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. I think what is important to see here is that because of the sacrifice, God has defeated the enemy. And we see this in Christ as well. Because of Christ's sacrifice, sin, death, the grave, the enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been thrown into confusion, has been struck down by the Lord. But I think there's also a good point to show here as well, is that because God defeated the enemy, because keep in mind, these Israelites were not gathered for war. Because God did the work, because of what God did, because of God defeating the enemy, they were able to fight back as well. And so how do we view that in our modern context of that, right? With Christ dying on the cross, God has defeated sin. He's defeated death. And because of that, because of his work and his defeat, defeating of sin and death, we are able to fight back. 
we are able to fight sin and fight temptation now. We're no longer slave to it. Because, not because of anything that we have done or because we're anything special or anything great, but because Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, did all those things for us and defeated it. And then we have the third thing, that is, the stone. It says, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin, and called its name Ebenezer. Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. And if y'all are familiar with the, uh, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, you know, in the second verse it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, Hither by thy help I come. And ultimately, the name Ebenezer just means stone of help. And as I looked at this, and, I, and, and you kind of ponder the idea of why did Samuel do this? Why did Samuel take the time after the circumstance to put a stone, to build up a stone there? and essentially give it a name and give it significance. And that's because Samuel understood something about people. And that is that people are easy to forget. People are easy to forget what God has done for them. People are able to see miraculous things, glorious things, great things, and then weeks, months, years later, it never crossed their mind again. So how do you keep it a reminder in people's heart that this event took place? And that's what Ebenezer is. Ebenezer is a symbol to all the people there that of what God did on that day. And that symbol goes beyond that moment, too. That symbol goes for the rest of time. And that as long as that symbol stands, everyone will know what God did on that day. Whenever those Israelites left from that place and they came back and they were walking past Ebenezer standing there, they probably stopped and looked at it for a second and went, I remember that day. I was there. Later on, they have children. They're walking by with their children. And they go, Mom, Dad, what's that rock over there? And they look to him and go, and they explain what God did on that day to their children. And now their children know what God did on that day. And even when they're dead and gone and their children know, their grandchildren come about, and they tell their grandchildren what God did on that day, all because that sign is still there and is never forgotten of what God did on that day. And so what is our Ebenezer? Our Ebenezer is the cross. Our Ebenezer that we look towards is the cross. Because that day that the cross was raised, and our Savior died, and sin and death were defeated, that cross was eternally moralized as the symbol 
of our salvation. And that every time we look upon the cross, we see the cross in the church, we see the cross going down the road, it calls to us a reminder of what God has done for us. We'll never forget that salvation, that that sacrifice that Christ made, ultimately because we continue to see our Ebenezer daily. Every time, hopefully, every time we get up, and even in the South, it's kind of hard not to see crosses everywhere, but I find it important that as we go about our lives, that, that every time we see a cross, that we don't need to make them just just other symbols that we see around, that you need to see them and go, that reminds me of what Christ did for us. That reminds me of what God did on that glorious day where he saved me when I was pour out, pouring out my heart before God in repentance, and he saved me. And that is our Ebenezer. So ultimately, this is where I conclude, is that if you didn't hear anything else I said today, if you didn't really understand the context of the Philistines or the Israelites or anything like that, I think the importance is this, is that we need to call to God for repentance. We need to pour ourselves out to God in utter repentance before him because he is the only one who can save us. And that we need to daily remember Never put down that Ebenezer. Never forget it. And that we need to daily see that, that, that glorious day in our mind. That we need, to, we need to constantly go back and go, this is what God did for me. And this is what God did on that day. And I pray ultimately that if you are here and you don't know what God did on that day. And you don't know what repentance is. But God is speaking to you this day and God is saying seek me and you shall be saved I pray that you don't leave this place without speaking to somebody either me or one of the elders or Daniel or somebody without first learning of what that glorious day was and what our Ebenezer is let me pray Father, I pray that as we read through your word and that we read through even the stories and the narratives of the Old Testament, Lord, that they won't just be another fable or another story because they're not. They're truth. And ultimately, they, they, they point us toward your son and, a toward, and toward your works and what you have ultimately done for us. And let us never forget that. Father, I pray that you'll, you'll give us a heart of repentance and that you'll constantly keep it in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, that, that glorious day that you saved us, Lord. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen.